It's Wednesday, March 7th, 2018, and you are listening to episode 79 of Roll Up and Die. Oh, Excellent. <laughs> I just ate a, a dinner um, that consisted of predominantly Pringles. Like that's about 50% of it, at least. So we're looking at 55 to 60% Pringles, and the rest was Sun Chips. Are you me 10 years ago? No, this is, I, I am, uh, I'm on the straight gluten diet. Just nothing but gluten. <laughs> gluten, gluten, gluten. Like, you're like, you know, you know, keto, I'm on the opposite of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. High carbs. I'm, I'm a big carbs. fan of the people who are like, oh, you want to lose weight? Oh, just eat whatever you want. And I'm like, what? And like, oh, I work out for like 20 hours every two days. Like, yeah. I mean, this is, right, this, right. Uh, don't you do that? <laughs> I met this guy. I met this guy who's in Star Trek. He's in the, the, the Star Trek reboot movie. You see about two seconds of him. He's kind of a cyborg. He barks in order, has a metallic voice, and he looks like a, he's got shaved head, looks really buff, and has like a, a kind of a cyborg voice. Uh-huh. And he I told know, me he looked somehow I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> guaranteed you do, guaranteed. He he looks me directly in the face and he says, Oh, I eat cake all the time. I'm like, What? It, it, like it's because the dude works out all the time. Well, sure, yeah, you're burning those kind of calories. I mean, that's why you see these uh, uh marathon runners and and you know, long distance bicycle riders, they they date like, you know, a a bowl of pasta the size of a of a small Volkswagen before yeah. they before they go bike riding the next day or, or running. That's like oh. bodybuilders and powerlifters like have to yeah. eat it, just an ungodly amount of food per day to maintain their body mass. And oh, yeah. like you hear about that and you're like, man, that'd be that'd be nice to just eat whatever you want. And they're like, no, you don't understand. Like, oh, no, it's a I bitch. have to eat all the time. Like, even yeah. if I'm not hungry, I have to eat. And it's things mm-hmm. it's calorically it's, dense foods like yeah, chicken breast and it's brown not even rice tasty, and it's broccoli. Not even tasty stuff. Yeah, it's not. not <laughs> Yeah, you're not eating fun stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, I eat yeah. 12 pounds of brown rice every day. You know those big old cloth bags of rice that they sell at Costco? I eat one of those yeah. just straight. Yeah. I just shove it in my face. When, yeah. I, when I was about 20, um, I used to go bike riding every day. Uh, I used to ride about 21 miles, and it took me about, what, an hour and a half, I think, total? Yeah, I mean, I, I could eat anything. Of course, I was a lot younger, too, but, I mean, it, it was insane how much you— calories you burn just doing that doing that kind of effort and i mean that that was nothing compared to what some of these people do for their workouts i mean but totally. yeah, 21 miles a day you know isn't nothing but yeah it it was it was insane how much how much I, how much i needed to eat yeah no kidding man <laughs> <laughs> i imagine as an athlete you eat the type of protein that relates most to your sport so like snowboarders just totally wreck a whole penguin before hitting the half pipe and doing that quad like 1080. I, I, I haven't eaten, I, I, don't, I don't really fast food ter- a lot now and I, and I try to avoid McDonald's uh, these days, but back then I, I had no problem with eating McDonald's yeah. and uh, that, that, was, that was my thing, a, a 20 piece McNugget. Just go to the drive-thru, get 20 piece McNugget and Diet Coke. Because... <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> That makes the calories go away, of course. It's Everyone like knows Diet that. Coke, yeah, it inverts a, the calories. I was at McDonald's one time with my younger cousin, and he just asked me, how many McNuggets do you think you could eat? And I looked at him and I said, all um, of them. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I mean, I would close this place. <laughs> what did I say? What do I mean? 
All <laughs> of them. Yeah, he turned to Gary Oldman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many McNuggets would you eat? Everyone. <laughs> I'll be honest, Alex. I thought you were going to tell us that you ate a penguin at some point <laughs> you like, in your life. Like, oh, yeah, I've had penguin. You're all yeah. McNuggets you to me. You haven't the, had penguin? The thing is, I wouldn't even be surprised if Alex said that. So, Oh, no. <laughs> I'd be surprised during editing of this episode. I'd be like, what did we talk about here? And I'd listen to it and be like, holy hell. Alex ate a whole penguin, and and we and on top of that, we recorded it, and I it didn't even I didn't even it didn't even hit me until right now as I'm editing. That happens all the time. Sometimes I'll be editing the podcast, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's some really good RPG advice. <laughs> we should we should record this." Should, right, right. Uh, although that, that, that does bring up a good point. What's the weirdest thing you got, you've you've ever eaten? Um, I had emu one time, um, which was not good. Uh, and I have also had shark. Uh, yeah, shark Ooh. is pretty good. Yep, shark's yeah, pretty awesome. Shark is kind of weird because it's kind of like the <clears throat> it's like the texture of chicken, but it tastes like fish. Like it doesn't have you know most fish has that kind of flaky texture, mm-hmm. but shark is very like yep. it's stringy like chicken is. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> that is those are those are weird dishes. What about you, Alex? Well, I have kind of a different bar <laughs> because without how I live. So I mean, because we, we've we've. Eating rabbit and things like that, but that to me, to us, that's just you know, normal stuff. Uh, I guess the weirdest at this point has been uh, moose that we killed with our own car. That oh that's yeah, probably, that, oh yeah. Did you did you finish that moose off? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh good, good. We ate, we good. ate the whole awesome. moose. Um, <clears throat> to be fair, we couldn't get a lot from you it. Ate because the marrow. The the, the the back end of it was pretty damaged, and you don't want to. Uh, when the when the when the meat gets that bruised. Uh, too much blood gets into it, and it's just, it doesn't, yeah, right. it's not good. You don't eat that meat. The strangest thing I've eaten is probably termites, but that doesn't really, that's not like, I didn't sit down at a, a, with no. a dinner plate and like, oh, I'm going to eat all these termites. It was more like, hey, here's a bunch of termites on this tree. Let's go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> was this in your past life when you were an anteater? <laughs> no, this was in Belize. This was in the middle of the jungle. This is one of my very, very few... Oh man, that was kind of badass stories, and so I really <laughs> nice. cling to it. I tell it as much as possible. Oh, cool. Uh, but but I don't know about <clears throat> weirdest weirdest food. Uh, probably some type of. Uh, I, I've had rattlesnake before, and that. But I mm, but I don't yeah. really remember it too much. Um, I should probably hit that up again. Yeah, I ha- I've had mealworms, which I I uh, to be fair, I I, I ordered them mm-hmm. online. Uh, I wanted food quality mealworms. And you know, I made them into these little fritters and stuff like that, just to just to try them, see what they're like, you know, things like that. Oh, uh, so, so that, what's that the difference that. between a meal quality or or like what that that high quality mealworm and a a mealworm that I would feed my sugar glider? I think that, I think the main thing is what they're fed and and what sort of growing medium they're they're kept in. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they, they just they just have to meet different standards for human food. Kind of like kind of like dog food and cat food. I mean, there's a lot of things in dog food and cat food that we pro- we probably eat in our hot dogs, but it's just run through a different pipe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when gotcha. it's prepared. <laughs> They're probably mealworms that are prepared in a Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> protein farm. <laughs> right, right, right. They're they Batistas out there. Hey, yeah, but I tell you, you know, worms. Eat, eating uh, weird food like this does build character. It's true. It, it builds character. Beautiful, beautiful. Actually, you know what? That was so beautiful. Alex, you should lead us into the actual topic of tonight's uh, episode of Roll Up and Die. Yeah, no problem. Today we're going to be discussing not just building a character, but 
sort of how to sort of build a character concept uh, and and take it through the mechanics. In other words, taking a character concept you have and integrating it with the mechanics. How do you take these mechanics and get them to fit your character uh, that you want to play? Not just coming up with a, a standard cookie cutter from, you know, what you want, but, but really coming up with the concept and then making it all sort of fit that. I really started getting excited for this topic when I was at my home group the other day. It's my, the first session of this new home group. First time mm-hmm. I've met a lot of these people. Uh, it was a really fun time. Maybe I'll talk about it in the banter for the next session. But we, we started, you know, one of the plans for the home group was to play a game of Dread. And then afterwards, we were going to do, run a session zero for this D&D game. I'm going to run them through Oath of the Frozen King. Uh, really, uh, everyone's kind of excited about that. And we're, all right, let's get, mm-hmm. let's get all these character sheets out. And we start passing out the character sheets and instead of the pencils. And people start rolling dice. And immediately, everything character just kind of changes <clears> to, <throat> oh, well, what's, what's stat? would be the best for my class. What, you know, hold on, what, what, you know, all right, I rolled this, where would you put, would you put this in strength or constitution? And all of a sudden, the the story went out the window and we started talking about mechanics, which can be fun for a lot of people, but it's kind of a fun exercise to do it the opposite way, to go about it by thinking, I want to play someone who just wrecks the loot. They could just bust out and shred a loot solo anytime they want, and... What stat would that relate to? And, you know, what mechanic or what aspect would I have to um, invoke in fate or what skill would I have to roll in D&D to really come across as someone who plays the loot really well as a bad example? Yeah, exactly. You're putting the, the concept before the mechanics. And, um, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, rolling random dice and come up with a character to see what you see what you put together and doing it that way. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the other way. So um, how do you come up with a character concept, I guess? Real life. Things that uh, you know are unexplored in role-playing games. I feel like uh, if you go against the cliche grain a little bit, mm-hmm. then you can find ways to just make unique cliches. Uh, I like people <laughs> with parents and family a lot because that is so non-existent in... <laughs> Or at least it, there was a phase when everyone wanted to play orphan, right. and uh, and if I'm playing an orphan, I I like them to feel like a real orphan, and I don't really mm-hmm. know what that's like, but but real life, I would like to do a little bit of research into the history or into the emotion that I feel like this character might give off or portray, basing it all in reality. It makes it easier to role play. And so that's where I Yeah, I like to look at art most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I see a cool piece of art or a miniature or something like that and decide that I want to make a character sort of based on that look or that concept. Um, Or um, I will look at a a character from fiction and decide that I kind of want to do something similar to that character. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, like I watched uh, the movie John Wick, uh, which is this this awesome action movie, and I decided I wanted to make like a really like close quarters rogue that fought sort of in a similar manner to John Wick, and that was sort of mm-hmm. like the 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 ember that got the fire going for that character. So um, it's usually something like that, it's either art or a miniature, something visual like that, or yeah. it will be a, a character in a movie or a book that I'm reading or something like that. Yeah, I've actually done both of those, and I think uh, one of the other ways I like to do it a lot, probably most uh, out of out of any of them, 
is to sort of imagine a scene. Like I'll imagine, imagine a scene with a character in it that is interesting, you right. know, uh, like, a, a, whether, you know, whether it's walking into a tavern or, or seeing a fight break out somewhere or, you know, whatever, just imagining a scene and trying to come up with a, you know, a char- what the, what a character is doing in that and then work back from, from that to decide who they are and how they came to be there and, you know, how they got to be that way. Right. So in other totally. words, start, you know, kind of imagine this, this, this thing and, and, you know, work backwards, reverse engineer it. How long has it been since we've mentioned the Dresden files? <laughs> I was going to say that's like, this episode, uh, I don't know. <laughs> the, it, it, you mentioned Matt, you mentioned books and, and works of fiction and such. And, and a lot of that is probably where, I think that's where most character concepts come from. From me, Probably, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the past, but I think from a lot of people, you know, we get a lot of inspiration from characters in epic fantasy yeah. or hardcore science fiction or, you know, Ripley, uh, Link, Aragorn. Uh, what's a Monty Python character that we all aspire to be? I don't know. The uh, <laughs> uh, Brian, I, I, I definitely love digging through <laughs> fiction and such for, for character concepts. Well, you usually kind of do it. Without thinking about it, uh, so actually, kind of sitting down and actually thinking about my process for it is is unusual for me. Have you ever considered starting your character concept based on another player's character? I've done. I've definitely done that before, um, because I am a fan of making connections between characters. Mm. And if someone makes their character and they come up with a cool concept and they have kind of an idea of the backstory, I might see a place where a character could fit into that backstory where they could sort of work together. Like, uh, you know, someone in the party's backstory is like, Oh, I, uh, you know, my sister was, uh, was captured and sold into slavery. And so my whole deal Mm. is like, I'm trying to get her back and I'm going to be, I'm like, Oh, what if my character was like betrothed to your sister? but we never actually met. And so I sort of show up at the village and you guys are like, oh, she's not here anymore. She she got captured. And I'm like, what? And so now it's this thing where I'm hanging out with you. We're trying to save your sister. I've never met her. You, you know, love her. And we can sort of have that, that connection between our characters uh, and have a sort of shared backstory to some extent. So I will often see that sort of stuff when we're sort of, if it's a session zero or if... You know, we're just talking about our character concepts. I might mm. see holes that can be filled by uh, a character. I love it. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and ways to tie you into the storytelling aspect of the game. Well, yeah, that makes it a huge uh, difference to the to the to the GM because if the if the characters all know each other or have connections in some way, you, you sort of have don't have to worry about now all that. Oh, how do I get them together? How do I get them to know each other? How do I, how do I get them to work together? You right. know that that's sort of already built into it. And that that is a nice feature of of that that way of doing things. So, starting you know building characters together is useful because, like you said, you you build the relationships into it. Um, uh, the game Fate really does that quite well. Their character creation system sort of relies on you know building those connections as you do it to create your aspects, which are right, yeah. the mechanics for the for the game. And you can easily take those mechanics and use them for almost any any RPG system, because um, yeah. it's the process that that makes the difference. Uh, the other thing that I think is is useful is for me as a if I'm a player building a character, is having having the GM tell me 
kind of how things are going to be starting, where, where we're going to be, whether it's telling me about the setting, whether it's telling me about how, how we're going to be kicking it off. Um, right. You know, so something like that, because then I can sort of, uh, like I said, imagine what that, what that's kind of going to be like. And then it's that, that alone is going to spark some kind of ideas. Yeah. I, I really like that doing that too. And it, I like having a character that feels like they live in the world. And so I will, I will often try to coordinate with the game master to learn a little bit about the world and specifically Mm -hmm. where we're starting. Like you're talking about Alex and like, if we're starting in a city, maybe I want to be from that city or from a nearby town, you know, and being able to work my backstory into whatever's happening in the story will immediately give me some motivation. You know, if my, if my character's backstory is tied to, you know, the big bad evil guy that we're trying to fight, Mm -hmm. then of course I'm going to be motivated to join this adventuring party. (laughs) Right. We actually just did something, uh, recently Matt with the tomb of the mummy Lord game that Jake Norman from mini terrain domain ran for us. (laughs) So I'm, you know, at the last minute, shoot, shoot (laughs) Matt a message. Hey, what do you think? Um, what, what do you think we should do? And it was, it was really an eight-second process, Matt, but a lot happened in that eight seconds. And I just want to go <laughs> into a couple things that are important for brainstorming character concepts. The first is to talk to the other players about your character and say something mm-hmm. like, I would like our characters to be tied be- uh, together. Yeah. Um, because, Matt, you came back to me with, I like the idea of us being in the same, like, bad job that went down or us being part of the same like uh, betrayal scam or right. something mm-hmm. occurred and we both got our hands dirty the next point the, the the next little bit or thing that you might take with you listener is a journal of thought trinkets let me try to explain what this is and it's not really a journal i keep mine on a, a tablet of guest checks <laughs> so <laughs> this is this is trash but basically i had a thought the other day that was like what if like someone got captured or they were you know, about to be executed. And what if this person were really powerful and had a lot of money and a lot of kind of assets to their name? And what if they were able to say to like two of these three thugs, hey, if you kill this third thug and set me free, I'll make you both very rich. And what if they meant it? And what if these like lackey, what if these lackeys with their daggers or whatnot, what if they know that, this person has these assets. So the train of thought for the story ends with these two characters betraying their friend just for money, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. that's just such a simple little concept, but that led, you know, that ended up in the thought trinket journal that ended up on a sheet of paper and therefore was committed to memory. So as soon as Matt, you said, I think we should have been working together on this job that went south, or I think that we should, um, you know, be tied together via this, bad betrayal right my first thought the first thought that crossed my mind was this journal of thought trinkets this this one thought trinket that i'd written down Mm -hmm. in this journal so keep just writing (laughs) these things down and talking to other players about them and i think immediately you're going to see results definitely yeah that's a really great idea i like the idea of uh like even if you're watching movies or uh reading a book or seeing a tv show and you just see a cool idea for a character concept, even if it's just a fragment of one or, you know, a partial one. Oh, I like this. I like, I kind of like this character concept, but it'd be even cooler if, you know, fill in the blank. And so you can sort of, like you said, not only build character concepts, but just scenes or, I, you know, just like you said, fragments of ideas that can all be assembled when 
the time comes to actually build a character. And just a side note, you can use it for like villains and plot yeah. hooks and storylines and 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 that sort of thing too. Just by you know asking yourself next time you're watching a superhero movie, God, what if someone actually could stop time? What right, if they could only right, stop right. time at a certain time of the day? What if they could only <clears throat> stop time time between noon and twelve thirty? But like, <laughs> if you ask those questions and start. I don't know, connecting these ideas in your mind, you can come up with a mm -hmm. lot of different ideas. Oh, absolutely. What do you guys prefer for detail in your character concepts and their backstory? You know, like, do you prefer, like, a lot of detail, like a lot of rich little nuggets and, and things worked into it uh, uh, that this sort of elaborate meaning that you have built up for it? You know, how much do you prefer to leave open for development along the way? Because I know, I know sometimes it can be useful to have, like, little holes in your story so that while you're playing the game, you know, you can, oh, you know, I have this idea to work this new thing in. You know what I mean? Sort of building as you go. How much do you prepare ahead? I prefer simplicity over complexity most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so starting out, um, as a player, I like to learn about my character as I go. And mm -hmm. I, I find that if I prepare too much ahead of time and think too much about their backstory and where they come from and what they're like, I feel, you know, in that first session... I'm not sure where to go from there. I feel like mm -hmm. I've already sort of decided who they are. But if I just have the basic ideas of a few sort of like uh, pivotal events in their life, um, something that they're striving towards, I like to think about what they want, then that helps me really discover who they are through role play, uh, which mm -hmm. I definitely prefer. And then as a game master, I like when players give me a few good, simple nuggets of things that I can draw upon, where they're from, what they're trying to do, you know, what their goals are. And then from there, the complexity can, can come through, can come through role play, you know, like, yeah. uh, Tim Carney's character in the provokers game. Uh, he's a Druid whose brother was murdered. That was just a very simple concept of like, uh, I'm a, I'm a Druid from this sort of family of druids uh, my brother went off to complete this ritual that we have to do every few years and he didn't come back and we found out that he was he was killed so i'm trying to figure out what happened mm -hmm. and then from there it became this sort of like crazy like like connected to this crime family that was sort of moving in on the territory of the druid family and like uh, you know, Tim's character being a member of that crime family and like all this crazy sort of complexity and stuff sort of happened just naturally over the course of the campaign through the ideas that I was throwing out there and the ideas that Tim was throwing out there. And so having that just simple nugget to start with has really sort of flourished into one of the sort of like the main arcs of the campaign mm -hmm. and, and something yeah. that has consistently come up, uh, you know, every session or two. We had a session zero for the the harbinger campaign that you're running for us yes. nomad and yeah. one of the things we decided was that we all wanted to be in on some sort of job that went south that's a yes. theme in this episode <laughs> but we didn't want to invent what that was in session zero we right. wanted to know that we were all in on this and it's kind of the reason why we're together and god there's some there's some bad news if you look back at that job but I don't know, maybe we'll find out what it is in the future, but let's, we, we created the, the question. We created the potential energy. We threw the ball in the air. Where it will land and when it will land, we're not quite sure yet, but we trust ourselves that we can play with that when we get there. And so I think that's the big benefit of an open-ended backstory item. 
the yeah. trinket lists in your D&D 5th edition books, they're yeah. excellent for this. Things that you don't quite know about, but you're going to discover as you go. That trinket that you have, what if it's identical to someone else's? All of a sudden you have an interesting story between two characters that didn't exist beforehand. <laughs> All that existed mm-hmm. was this trinket. So I'd say, you know, I, I like those open-ended questions, but keep in mind that the thing that you control as a player are your mm-hmm. actions, your present yeah. actions. You can describe what you do now, and you can describe flashback scenes while you're doing them, but I wouldn't describe too much of the future before it gets here. Yeah, definitely. Did you guys ever see the uh, the movie The uh, Hot Tub Time Machine? Yes. It's a, it's a funny no, movie. No, I haven't yet. I need but to. But th- there, there, there was a great scene in there where they're all sort of, you know, sitting around trying to decide what to do. <clears throat> and, and, one of, and one of them brings up, I think it was Cleveland or something like that. And, and they're all like, we're not supposed to talk. We, we're never, you're never going to mention Cleveland again. And it's like, oh, hey, is that why you have that box in your closet with Ritz Cleveland on it? So you, you have it in a box. And, and they're not saying anything about what actually happened. But they're, 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 but they're going back and forth like this. And apparently, I, I, I was reading about this, that, that that whole thing was improvised. It was not part of the script. Ooh, they, someone, they just mentioned Cleveland and then they just ran with it. And I thought <laughs> that was such a cool idea for creating this, this uh, mysterious backstory. Because I remember thinking as a GM, be like, oh, cool. I, I would love the players to have this sort of collective backstory that's that mysterious because I can do anything with it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, it, it, that, that's just kind of, if you could do that as a group of players, that 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 could be a lot of fun. Totally, and that's—I yeah. mean, that <clears throat> the idea of the job was mm-hmm. something that the players came up with totally on their own during the session zero for this right. Harbinger campaign. And I'm so excited to explore the ramifications of that because yeah. instead of deciding this is why we came together, you know, this is why we're all aboard the same ship, this is why we're a crew, even though we don't necessarily like each other, it's like, it's all because of the job. Something happened on the job that made all of this possible, and Mm -hmm. that is just, that's like the juiciest steak you can give to a dungeon master, so I'm excited about that. (laughs) I find that a lot of character backstories end too soon, Mm. Uh, and and here's what I mean by that. I, I had... Uh, this might be something I've described in brief pre- in a previous episode, but um, I had a player who had their character be born from a noble family, rich, wealthy, um, but one day their parents were executed. You know, they, their parents were taken from their home. The child had to run out the back window and run away, and through uh, a lattice of morning glories they witnessed in the courtyard their parents being executed and then they proceeded to be chased across the countryside while people harbored the child and their noble name for a time until their heraldry was lost entirely and now this character roams the world alone that the roaming the world alone part that is the most boring place to start the character, start role-playing the game. It's like, why do we so often do that? Oh, now I'm this mysterious figure who's alone and I have no one with me. No, start as the kid who's born with the rich noble family who just got executed. Mm. Start as this kind of teenager with a royal bloodline who's trying to hide in attics and basements while they're fleeing the authorities. Not the person who has no ties to anything. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with a mysterious background, but it doesn't have to be dark and mysterious. It can be embarrassing. It can be, you know, there's, there's some sort of 
threat sort of looming over yeah. you that you know you have to keep you have to keep hidden yeah um, the danger you know? like, and that's the thing like the person roaming the world alone that's not mysterious to me the person yeah. who's being chased across the country but they can't talk about it for fear who might hear that's mysterious and that's interesting oh yeah yeah for sure we're doing a lot about talk about like backgrounds but what about what other parts of a character sort of make up the concept because I mean, I, I suppose the background sort of do, is is the concept in a way because you're starting everything. Be, everything before the point you're starting is background, I guess. I don't know. Kind of when I think of character concept, I kind of think of what like what fate call what fate calls your uh, what's it called high concept <laughs> high concept. Yes, thank you. Yes, no. Um, and if you think of every sort of major character you can think of from fiction, you can sort of sum them up in a in a in a, in a sentence or two. Even just a sentence, yeah. Like if you look at Indiana Jones or or Batman or Harry Dresden to to hit all the the tropes that we always hit. <laughs> no, you're, you're you're super right. It's almost like a character elevator pitch. And yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. that's the beginning of what we were talking about at the start of this episode. That's the beginning right. of attacking your character concept. Concept first, mechanic second. That yeah, elevator right. pitch. Yeah, no, uh, um, sort of uh, thinking out loud here because, again, I haven't really thought through all this. This is just all, all raw brain dump coming out. So we have, we have the backstory. Are there any other parts to a character concept that we're missing, do you think? Would you, would you include, say, uh, the, the you know, character's motivations and their, their goals and sort of you know, intertwined in that as well? I definitely think so. And I think that that can be something that you come up with on your own. It can be something that, well, it's, a, it's something that a lot of systems sort of bake into the character creation process. Like 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, you have your background. And with mm. your background, you have your, um, it's uh, traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. And they're like the things that make up your personality, but also like uh, your bond is like your goal. It's like the thing yeah. that matters most to you and the thing that you're trying to accomplish and so I think things like that are important, but the simpler you can keep them, mm-hmm. the better you're going to be at remembering that those are the things that are important to your character. And obviously those things are going to change and shift over the course of the campaign. But if you just have some really simple, just like very simple, tangible sort of things, like things that you can relate to, like, you know, the most important thing to me is my family. The most important <clears> thing to me is my <throat> friends. The most important thing to me is, you know, being the best at what I do. Those sorts of things, like things we can all relate to. Then your character will be a lot easier to role play from the get go before you really know what they're about. You know, oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, sure. If, yeah, sure. If you know what they're after, what they're, uh, what drives them, what keeps them going, and ideally, if it could be something that they, that on a meta level is going to keep them going in the game. You right. know, like in in D anD. d you want the characters to be adventurers, so their goal shouldn't necessarily be to, you know, I want to, I want to start a flower shop or something. Yeah, I want to, <laughs> I want to keep my nose clean and stay out of trouble. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not, not that it can't work at all, but that's going to be a lot harder for a GM to sort of work into a, a, a reasonable, a reasonable adventure. Definitely, um, that sounds like a perfect step one. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> well, you know, we've talked so much before about how it, a lot of people hate the Lord of the Rings references, but they're so easy. But Boromir, his um, redemption story only means so, uh, that much because we see him struggle early on. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's important to look at a character's re- religion, 
their ties to their culture, their nation, and basically just the, what I mean overall is the people immediately around them. Mm-hmm. I, I want to see a character say hello or be greeted by someone in the street uh, that knows them. I want to see a character uh, hang up a decoration for a festival. Uh, I want to, I, I want, you know, the GM or other players to show how their characters exist in this real world that we're making yeah. up together. As weird as right. that sounds, this real right. world that we're uh, making up. No, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, showing that sort of mundane life ties them to, to that reality. Yeah. Um, because that's really what, what allows people to buy into a setting. You know, the fantastic stuff is the exciting part. That's what you play for. But in order to invest in it, in order to immerse yourself in it, having those sort of mundane connections, like you, you almost never see like D&D characters sitting at their house, you know, look, looking, looking over, looking over their, you know, their bills, <laughs> you know, they, right. they, they, they got, they got, they got a tax bill from the, uh, from the magistrate. It's like, Oh, I gotta pay my taxes. You know, <laughs> you don't see that aspect of them. Not, not yeah. to say you have to base the role playing on it or, or include that in it, but you know, knowing that that happens or referring to it is, is, is kind of fun to sort of tie the characters into, like you said, the, into the world. And that's, that's the, the whole goal is to make something that's believable and yeah. something that lends itself to immersion in the role-playing game. And so, um, so, so you think that would be part of the character concept in a way? The uh, world around the character? Well, no, no, like knowing, knowing the world, which we talked about earlier, but I mean, oh, yeah. also thinking about things that they do apart from their main purpose in the game. You know, in other words, if a character's main purpose in the game is um, I'm a fighter and I'm going to be you know, doing fighter stuff, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but including other stuff they do that, that a real three-dimensional person does, you know, we do, we do this podcast, but we do other stuff too. I do blacksmithing. I homeschool kids, you mm-hmm. know, I, I summon elder gods, things like that. You know, we all have these outer things uh, around our main thing that we do sort of including those things like what, like character hobbies, Yeah, you know, um, uh, maybe hobby's not the right word, but boxing um, walls, yeah, like <laughs> extracurricular activities, let's say, because those <laughs> no, are really backstories per se, but they are and they they are things that can help tie the character to a real life. I think you you're know? absolutely right. I think that's on point. I think that's that is the concept. Do they donate their time at a local orphanage? You know, maybe maybe every every week they go to this orphanage and they they perform for these kids. You know, um, when we first started, uh, Matt, you mentioned that uh, you like visual images to sort of inspire you to, to create a character. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess we could also talk a little bit about how you visually uh, imagine the character can be as part of the concept as well. You know, are they clean? Are they dirty? You know, are, are they meticulous? Are they just chaotic? Do they... Uh, wear shoes, <laughs> you know, things like that. I mean, what, <laughs> yeah. those sort of things can, can, can tell a lot about a character as well. Their mannerisms, the way they talk, <clears throat> the way they yep. interact with people. Do they look people mm-hmm. in the eye when they're talking to them? All, all sorts of things like that can help inform, you know, not just what your character looks like, but, but who they are as a person. Do you think that we should tackle adapting these concepts to specific mechanics for a little bit before we jump into yeah. an idea that people can steal? Sure. I think that's a great idea. 
Well, I, I think building a character concept first and, and sticking with it sort of naturally requires that you have to remove the randomness from your character creation. Right. Yeah. Um, you could come up with this really awesome concept. You come up with a backstory. You come up with, you know, their their hobbies. You come up with their motivations. You get this whole concept, you know, nailed together. It's beautiful. You roll the dice and it just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, right. you're, yeah. you're not, you know, you, you could end up with some uh, the numbers that just don't line up so you either have to do some kind of point by system or just uh, you know with the, especially with like experienced players you can just say hey you know put put in what you think makes sense based based on your concept right now, you know a lot of people aren't necessarily comfortable with that because let's face it there are people out there who, who would abuse that <laughs> It's like, right. yeah, all 18s down the line, man. That's that's me. <laughs> yep. Of course, I have those. <laughs> um, well, that's such a that's a such a good reason to encourage a session zero or yeah. at least like thirty minutes to an hour of just the group sitting around talking about character, story, background, ties, concepts, development. No numbers, no discussion yeah. of I'll play support, you play tank, oh, you're paladin, okay, I won't be paladin. Like, right, I mean, right. just because by the end of the conversation, you might have all decided, I think we should all play different types of thieves or different types yeah. of assassins or different wizards from this arcane university. And those are really cool concepts, too, that you would never get to if you're too busy being worried about filling certain roles mechanically. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, so do you guys want to make an idea that people can steal? Yeah, let's do let's that. do it. Oh, okay, let's do it. Um, so <laughs> here on Roll Up and Die, what we usually do is we usually post our topic on our Facebook page, and then you can ask a question. We're just going to pretend that no one had any questions about character concepts or anything like that. I personally don't think anyone would have anyway. Everyone was super solid on it. They were just like, I, nah, I got this. They were like, no, yeah. honestly, this is kind of a filler episode. No worries. This is just preparing for your part two where you actually create characters for Alex's Call of Cthulhu <laughs> game coming up. And, and that's a little bit true. Well, whatever. Um, but I, th I think what we should do is come up with a cool character concept, no mechanics allowed, uh, with the idea right. that people can steal. And then afterwards, have just like an open discussion about how one might work that concept into D&D, &D, how one might work that concept into a more open system like Fate, and then how one will work that concept into anything. Doesn't matter, you know, mechanics, non-mechanical, just fun ways to show off that concept during the game and before the game. I like if it. people are down with that, I'm going to roll this blue frosted D12. And the first person to come up with some sort of character concept is going to be me. I think we should do something with amnesia or some sort of cliche, trope-ish starter character background that we can make a little more unique based right. on mechanical mm -hmm. methods as well as ways to show off character concepts and stuff. So it doesn't have yeah. to be amnesia, but that's my cliche trope starter kit background yeah, starter kit that I'm going to throw out there. I like it. Uh, next up is going to be Matt. So you want to you want to include something with uh with dealing with amnesia. Uh I'm yeah. going to throw in there that this character has some sort of supernatural abilities um that play into their amnesia that they don't quite understand and they are natural abilities. They're not learned abilities. They're abilities that manifest uh sometimes outside of their control. Oh, that's really cool. Cool. Nice. Uh that's Alex. 
Oh, I'm surprised. Caught off right. guard. It's going to take a little inspiration from uh, the movie Memento. And uh, <laughs> Good. we'll say that this, that this character has, when they sort of became aware that they had amnesia, they have a, they have a ton of stuff on them. Uh, like just they're loaded with little little trinkets and things things that you know any person would collect over the course of their life or you know the course of adventuring and so forth. So they got just a ton of things like in their pockets, and they have a you know they they have a they have a journal that that's like has some has some things written in it, but it's not it some of it doesn't make any sense. And so they have all these sort of little clues that uh, help them maybe try and piece together certain aspects of their life. I love it. Um, and I, I love the movie Memento, and I l- just love the idea of waking up every day and having all of these trinkets to remind you of who you are or remind you of something that's to serve as clues for a bigger picture. Yeah, that's great. One of the first thoughts I had about the, regarding the amnesia and the supernatural abilities, if we can just flow right into the turning the concept into a mechanical mm, sort of yeah. thing discussion... Um, I I really like the idea that these supernatural abilities are kind of the spells in the game. I think this person is a caster. If we're going to talk about mechanics and classes, Mm -hmm. I think this person is maybe a caster or a druid or a cleric or something that's a little bit off the wall, warlock or sorcerer even. Oh, warlock would be cool. Yeah, Yeah, warlock would be And Warlock would fit into this next thought, which is what if these supernatural abilities that they're using, right? This is, these are their spells in D and D if we're talking D and D. Yeah. What if these abilities, every time they use them, it costs their memories. And so they are spending their memories to cast spells and giving themselves amnesia. And so they wake up every day and they don't know who they are. And so they see the tattooed spell book on their arms and the trinkets and herbs that remind them each day um, who they might be. Or, or uh, th- that might be too memento, but you might see the route I'm going with it. Yeah, I like that. I, that reminds me of uh, Orin, my character in Winds of Cerceline, where it's like he you know, is uh, frustrated with his patron because he realizes that his patron has stolen his voice and his memories and his name. And then he sort of comes to realize that he struck this deal to lose all of these things in exchange for power. And I, I just, I love that idea that like that realization of like, oh, I'm doing this to myself. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That, that, that also builds in a really great sort of overarching motivation where now this character, they're just driven to get their memories back. To, to to not only learn who they are, but to sort of stop this constant memory bleed <laughs> that they're suffering, <laughs> right? You know, because yeah. they're losing themselves, and, right. and it could make for really interesting, um, possibly intense, you know, character scenes. You, you might even consider inventing a new homebrew mechanic. Uh, this is regarding D anD D, but um, something like passive insight to see if they would just remember something or get a like a deja vu or a clue that might lead to something else uh, working similar to passive perception, but instead works with insight. And as the DM, you can be the judge of when something clicks for this character or when something might be a little bit, might go over their head or pass them by because they just don't realize yeah. it. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point for something like this too, is fine. Cause you want to find the right mechanic to use depending on what game you're playing. Yeah. Like if, if, if you were running this say in, in call of Cthulhu, you might use the sanity mechanic. Maybe, maybe this person saw something that broke him. <laughs> yes. You right. Know? So he's sort of working his way back to normal at some point. And he has to sort of t- sort of touch all these bases in what he's doing to make his way back. 
right um you know in uh, fate it. it would be easy enough to make up an aspect yeah i was gonna say like a flaw what do they call yeah is there a is it a is it called a flaw in fate? it's called uh trouble a yeah, trouble. trouble like Amnesia yeah. is a trouble that you can still occasionally invoke as a, a benefit as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and then you'd have to also look at other, you know, mechanics and decide, uh, like, certain knowledge mechanics would be tough because they wouldn't have a lot of knowledge necessarily if they don't right. know who who they are. Or they they might not know what areas they have knowledge in, so the GM might have to keep track of that themselves. You know, uh, someone mentions something to do with, say, archaeology. And suddenly this per you know, the gym just gives the, this guy, you know, the player a piece of paper says, uh, you know this stuff, it just comes into your head. <laughs> like yep. apparently apparently I know something about this. Right. <laughs> you know, and it and it just spills out you know, reflexively. They didn't even know they knew this stuff and some you know, and not only is it interesting because now, you know, it furthers the game, but now this person has a sort of a little another little clue as to who they might have been. Right. You know, they'd be asking themselves, you know, why the hell do I know about this stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just explain, you know, they walk into a room and then you describe a flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden the room changes and it's covered in blood and you know this happened in the past yeah. and then you're back in the present and everything's clean. It's like, wait a second, what? What? Hold on. Um, <laughs> the ways that we show this are oftentimes up to the player, but really oftentimes up to the GM. It's up mm. to you to kind of explore these character concepts and decide when new questions need to be raised. You know, we're talking about ways to show the concept that isn't necessarily mechanically related, but mm. you know, something you mentioned, Alex, which is super smart, is the trinkets that are everywhere. Uh, trinkets that are dangling, little baubles, little sacks of herbs, a mirror would probably be on this person. This person might stare at their trinkets or at people's faces a little bit longer than average. They might seemingly forget things in the moment. Uh, you could describe your character casting a spell and then immediately after kind of falling to the ground and forgetting everyone around them, having even a who are you moment, like where am I moment, just for a second before it all kind of comes back to the character. And that this is something that the character or the player gets to play with a little bit during their character descriptions and narr- narrative moments. That's that's always really fun and a cool way to show it no matter what game system you're playing. Yeah. yeah. One thing the character in Memento did was memorize lines, right? They'd go down their yes. list every day of truths. And that's that's something that I think anyone without a memory would do. Another neat thing I thought of, too, was uh, a good example of, of that sort of memory loss, I guess. Damn it, the movie name just I lost it. Uh Total Recall. Yep. Oh. Uh, the, the the original Total Recall. The, he he deliberately uh, you know had had his memory modified so that so that he he so that he wouldn't you know remember certain things or whatever. At, at, at some point, you know, the character could realize that maybe they don't like who they were <laughs> before. Right. Yeah. Maybe you know, maybe maybe who they are now is is the kind of person who hates the kind of person they were. And they don't want to be that anymore, and that could make right. for a really kind of cool, interesting twist to the to the oh yeah to the concept later on. Yeah, this, I'm this the killer. One, this is weird things one where I hate. This could be one of those interesting incidents where you'd have to uh, balance how much the player knows versus how much the GM knows. Like how much you know. Yeah. L- let's let's turn that around a bit. You as players, w- how much would you want to know? Would you like to be in the dark about all this stuff? And have the GM come with come up with why your character has all this stuff, or would you like to come up with it, and then sort of begin revealing it from your end as gameplay goes on? 
throw that ball up, leave some blank space, and see where it falls. I would say it would really depend on the campaign and the GM, but I'd say for the most part, for most of the time, I'd be totally comfortable with the GM throwing something like that at me without my involvement because it's a cool role play opportunity and. For me, it doesn't take away from the character. It only adds to them and makes them more complex. I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning that, leaning that way as well. I kind of like to not know, yeah, because it could just be fun when when you get that 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 sudden burst of memory or that sudden burst of knowledge or exactly you know so so some guy walks some guy runs up to you grabs you by the shirt and it's like you're here at last thank God you know I've been, I've been waiting for you <laughs> it's like uh, what hello do I know you you know <laughs> yeah. it. That's just that's just awesome uh, opportunity right there. That's role play totally, gold. totally. So I uh, I think we should jump into our part two of this episode seventy nine, in which we actually create character concepts for this upcoming yeah. Call of Cthulhu game that you're going to run for us. That's Alex. right. What you've just listened to has been produced by Roll Up and Die, and is copyright two thousand seventeen. How official. The games, films, TV shows, and other stuff we talked about during this episode are the properties of their respective owners, so be sure to borrow nicely, okay? Any snippet, portion, clip, or other synonym for part of this show can absolutely be used in other media so long as credit is given to the Roll Up and Die podcast. You can find all three of the primary hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt can be found at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Barker can be found at youtube.com slash be a better game master. And both of their work can be found at www.absolutetabletop.com. Captain Gothnog is also on YouTube at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog, and his work can be found on DriveThruRPG under Critical Hit Publishing. Be sure to keep track of us on iTunes at rollupanddie.podbean.com or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, everybody, and as always, happy gaming.